0: Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert begins the new sermon series with Genesis 2, 4-25. Through this account of creation, God suggests some of the most important aspects of life, place, purpose, and partnership. These priorities lead to living a full life. Let's hear today's message. Anytime we're talking about creation, this cartoon comes to mind. I, I think I have shared it with you before, but I thought it was too good to not share again. I know it's a little hard to see, and so let me describe it to you. The character in the center, of course, is God, as if he is a chef making the world. All along the shelves, you see different ingredients, reptiles, amphibians, trees, insects, people of all different uh, look. And then you see him dumping into the world jerks. <laughs> he says, just to make it interesting. <laughs> this morning we are starting our journey through the scripture that will uh, take the next nine months. And we always begin with the account of creation. Now, now in our schedule, sometimes that account is in Genesis 1. Last year, uh, we looked at the account of recreation in the story of Noah, but this morning uh, we are called to Genesis 2, as you just heard read. And we're called to think about what is life. I mean, just yesterday, my, my family and I, my wife and my youngest son and I, uh, went to visit a family who was uh, grieving. Uh, a father a son a husband we went to pay our respects and it was an open casket and no matter how many times i go into a situation like that it's always a little bit rattling and it certainly was for my 14 year old son we had a little conversation on the way home about life and what are we to think of the body that was laying there As we think about the question of life what what is it? It is obvious that life, as it's defined, as God desires for us, life is about more than can be described by anatomy or physiology. There's a quality to life that it's hard to describe, and yet you, you see it when it's no longer there in the casket. This morning, I want to think about life in that way. What, what is it? What, is, what has God designed and what does he desire for us? What's important as we seek to, to live into that which God has given us? I think there are cues in the text that has just been read. Cues that we ought to receive not just as information uh, that we might grow as learners, but, but that we might receive as a personal word from God words that might direct the life that he's given us. And so before I go any further, would, we, would you pause with me one more time? Let's pray and ask the Spirit to speak to each one of us during these moments. Lord, indeed, uh, you are the author and creator of life. And so you have given us your word and your spirit that we might know you And that we might know ourselves in this life that you have created more. How how could we know who you are and what you have made without, without you telling us? And so thank you for the gift of your word and for the presence of your spirit. Would you speak now to each one of us that we would hear your voice. Help us to lean in and expect to be encountered by you. That we would... Leave this place filled up, encouraged, and set again on that narrow way that is the way of life. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. It's important that we see Genesis 2 within its context that is, Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. You're likely aware of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is the first account of creation, while Genesis 2 is a A second account. So Genesis 1, you'll remember, goes through each day. God created, God created, God created, God created. The point of Genesis 1 is to help us recognize who did all this. That as we read that, we ought to go, wow, God. And how God created. Not so much a step-by-step playbook, but, but that God created out of nothing. Genesis 3, on the other hand, gives us the account of the the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and how, though invited into life with God, full of its blessings, they thought they knew better. They turned away from God and rebelled, and in so doing, broke relationship with God and with one another. This journey we'll share through the Scripture is the story of how God pursues humanity in order to restore what was lost in Genesis 3. They lost the very life that God created and intended for them. And so for us to to fully embrace this journey we're going to take, we've got to understand something about this life that God has given us. What does he desire? What's important? Genesis 2 helps us do that. It speaks kind of qualitatively to life as we know it. You know, if Genesis 1 is more quantitative, numbers and just kind of clear, oh, God did it, Genesis 2 is more qualitative. It's hard to get your your head or your hands around. But I think if we lean in, we'll notice some important elements to life as God designed it. Three, in fact. Three important elements that are significant to life as God wants us to live it. And as important as these elements are, I also want us to recognize that if any of these three elements are elevated to the ultimate place in life, like they become our ambition, they become the things that that, that we we point our life towards and, and worship, then the very life that God intended for us will be stolen. So I hope you have Genesis 2 open to you. What I want you to see is the important elements of place, purpose, and partnership in this account. Place, purpose, and partnership. God created life and all of these three things to play an important part of our experience And so we've called to recognize that in this story and be warned that we don't elevate them higher than they ought to be. Let's consider place first. Now, we we know this story so well that sometimes we take it for granted and we might skip over the reality that, that God created the whole world and then created people, but he didn't just put people in the world haphazardly. You notice that? I mean, think about the world as we know it. God didn't just go, eh, wherever. He created a specific place, and this text goes to great lengths to, to help us recognize that. In verses 8 through 14, there's detail given that I won't, I won't go through line by line, but just notice this place defined by boundaries and rivers and trees, this place that has at its center the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This isn't just any place. This is the place God designed to begin life. And as we think about God's story and think about our own life, I think it's important to recognize the place that place plays. Boy, say that five times fast, right? I mean, we will unfold the scripture and you will see the importance of place as God's people seek to live in the promised land or as God's people uh, call out to be restored to Jerusalem, this very special place, or as God's temple as, is lifted, lifted up as the place where he encounters His people. Place is critically important to our experience of life. How does it play out in your life? How is place important? For some of you, um, like my wife, this is a really exciting time of year. For she loves, especially in the fall, to go shopping and she'll come home and try to create a place for our family. My daughter said just the other day, Mom, that's a lot of pumpkins, right? But it's important. It comes out of who she is. Her being, She wants to create a place that she enjoys and that she hopes we will enjoy. Some of you, when I talk about place, think about the, the home in which you grew up. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, home was always there, where grandma and grandpa were, or mom or dad, or those special memories. That place plays an important part in your life. For others of you, it's, it's that place where you raised your own children. Maybe you're still living there now. That place defines much of your life and who you are. Place is important. So is purpose. Do you see purpose in the text? Genesis two fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I've heard some people talk about heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. I won't have to work anymore. Sorry. <laughs> work was a part of God's good creation. And so by extension, I think it's going to be a part of our eternal life. Now, it won't be arduous work. It won't be work that we we are frustrated with. It will be good work. It will be purposeful work. It will be something we enjoy doing. God creates this place, and then he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gives them instruction. He gives them a purpose to work or to till Uh, One Hebrew scholar I read suggests that these words could also be understood to protect or to serve, much like the, the police talk about themselves. That is to suggest that God put people in the world and our purpose is to tend or guard or serve all of God's creation such that it accomplishes God's purposes from the very beginning. Let's think about purpose in the narrative that will unfold. We'll meet a man named Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, all of that. Abraham's family will be given a purpose. If you read Genesis 12, you'll, you'll read what it is. God says to Abraham, your family will be like a kingdom of priests in the world. What's a priest do? priest helps people connect to God, right? And so the point was that God had given his people a purpose that they were supposed to take the nations of the world and help them recognize and come into relationship with God. We will see that they don't live into that purpose. How about your purpose? Unlike place, this one's a little bit more, I think, uh, recognizable when we think about what's the point of life. I mean, frequently when you I- meet somebody, after some uh, cursory comments, uh, you will get to the, so what do you do for a living, right? That we recognize that that purpose is important in life, but then there's the challenge. So what do you do when you retire? Have you lost your purpose? What do you do when all of your life has been poured into your children and then they leave? What do you do when when your body won't allow you to do the very things that you wanted to do and you have done your whole life? Like, what's your purpose then? Place, purpose, last one's partnership. This is a fun one. There's some humor in the text if you'll allow yourself to see, it. to see it, you have to kind of allow Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to, to speak into one another. Remember, in Genesis 1, uh, we are told that, that, that God created um, all that is. Male and female, he created them. And you remember, as he goes through the listing of the days... And day one, he created light. Day two, he created land. You you remember that? There's a refrain at the end of every day. The Lord stood back, went, it is good. Right, yeah, you remember that. Do you notice here in Genesis 2, the first time that God says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, it's not good. Right? He, makes, he makes Adam, he makes man, Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's the first time God goes, uh, not exactly that. I don't think this is meant, though we can make some fun jokes about men with this one, but I don't think it's meant for that. It's meant to lift up the importance of partnership. That verse used the word helper. The word helper in our culture has a certain connotation. Like someone who's inferior to another. If you have a master carpenter and he has a helper, he's the one who just hands the tools. If you have someone in the office with the assistant helper, they're inferior. Sometimes I think people think about this phrase... This passage or relationship between men and women in that way, but nothing could be further from the truth. The word described or, or translated helper here is a word that is all, used all throughout the Bible, but most of the time it doesn't refer to women, it refers to God. Would you consider God inferior? <laughs> God less than? Let me show you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 33 says this. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper. That's the word. And your glorious sword. It's a word that's often a military word. It's a really strong word. The opposite of anything less than or inferior. It lifts up this understanding that men and women together are important as we seek to reflect the image of God in the world. Again, Genesis 1.27 puts that understanding in front of us. Do you remember this passage? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's a really important biblical truth, especially in this day, to hold up the uniqueness of masculinity and femininity and the, the way they complement one another and to recognize that in that complement we get some sense of who God is. That if the world were all men or if the world were all women, we would not perceive to the extent we can now who God is. They are important for one another. They reflect the very nature of God as the nature of God is itself complementary relationship. Think about what you know about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons distinct but one, in a way that makes us go, right? But what do we say when we talk about marriage? Man and woman come together as one. In so doing, we reflect the character or, or nature of God, and it's right here in this text. Now, the church today often makes one of two errors whenever we encounter a text like this. One error is to suggest that the plain meaning of the text isn't what it really says, that marriage isn't what it looks like here. And some people will say, well, yeah, because we're going to look at marriage all throughout the Scripture, like Jacob, who had lots of different wives, So if that's okay, how come these other expressions of marriage aren't okay? Well, let me ask you, how did that marriage work out for Jacob? For the women in his life? For the children? Illustrations of marriage that veer from the plain meaning here tell us that all that happens is pain is invited into the world. Suffering comes into people's lives. And so the church is called to hold up, especially in a day like we're living in. Marriage, what it is and why it's important. But sometimes in doing that, churches make a different error. They suggest that if you are going to experience life in the way that God intended it, if you're going to experience life in the full, then you have to be married. And if you're not married... You're missing out on something. Well, can you tell me who Jesus' wife was? Or how about the Apostle Paul? See, marriage, as important as it is in Scripture, is not the only biblically ordained relationship that leads us to life in the full. Jesus and Paul... Two heroes of the faith—that's—I I don't even want to put them on a level, right? Jesus and then Paul. Two heroes of the faith are single men, and yet even there, they and their humanity were made for partnership, not marriage, but deep, intimate relationship with others in the context of their faith. Think about Jesus. And the Apostle John, you've seen that that painting, right? The Last Supper, and John reclining on Jesus. There is an intimacy to their friendship. Think about Jesus and his mother, Mary, at the cross as he entrusts her to John. Think about Paul and his missionary partner, Barnabas, and the life that they share together. Think about Paul and Onesimus. We just finished Colossians. You remember Onesimus? Anybody? Like, there's some salvation points on the line here if you'd like them, right? What did Paul say about Onesimus? How did he express his relationship with him? He's my very heart, and I'm sending him to you. I mean, talk about love and relationship. Jonathan and David in the Old Testament are described as having a love deeper than that of a man for his wife, so close and dependent were they on one another. Marriage is critically important, but it's not the only way to live. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about the advantages of remaining single as we seek to serve God. And so some of us will be called marriage and others of us will be called to singleness for a lifetime or for a season of life and both enable us to experience as God, life as God designed it. But this focus on partnership, boy does it lift up the importance of our life together. For here in the church is where we find friends to walk through very difficult seasons where we we intentionally nurture a relationship that enables one to speak into another's life. Place, purpose, partnership. They're critical to the way that God created life. But... Elevated beyond their rightful place, they can also steal the very life God desires for us. What do I mean by that? Well, some of you are experiencing that. I've had conversations with you, dangerous conversations. You're living in your home, lived there for 50, 60 years. Can't imagine your life. Any other place. And yet your pastor who loves you comes and says, hey, um, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about the life that you're experiencing here. I'm concerned about your safety. Have you ever thought about moving something? Oh, pastor, back off. <laughs> right? Place is important. But it's not the ultimate. Some of you have been blessed with means to be able to buy a vacation home wonderful. I'm not criticizing, but can I offer a a gentle warning? Be careful that your desire for place doesn't separate you from the very life God has designed and intends for you. I've seen people so, uh, so adamant about leaving the Ohio winters, that they end up leaving their community and their family and the very things that gave them life. we got to be careful that we don't elevate place beyond where it's supposed to be in our life. How about purpose? That one's a little more obvious, right? It's obvious, and yet we still don't get it. Been reading more than my fair share of obituaries lately. You have too, I bet. You know what obituaries seldom talk about? Your work accomplishments. (laughs) Such and such was CEO or did this or did that. What do obituaries talk about? Family? Work, kind of, but not accomplishments, contributions, right? The way you served your community, the way you give your life away, the attributes and characteristics by which you have lived. There is in an obituary a funeral resume that is distinctly different than a professional resume. A lot of you know that. And yet when you're my age, you get so focused on that, professional resume. You elevate purpose. Who am I and what am I going to do in the world and what can I contribute in such a way that when you can't do those things anymore or you fail or something happens, you begin to believe the lie, well, I'm not worth anything. We've elevated purpose beyond where it ought to be. And partnership? Well, there again, God created us for one another, but sometimes... In those moments of isolation, we so pine for that certain relationship with that certain someone. We will totally rebel and walk away from God because we've got to have this. Be careful. I want you to think about those three things in your life. Please don't let this be an academic sermon. What's the importance of place? purpose, partnership in your life? Are any of those being elevated above where they ought to be? See, we have an enemy. He's spoken of in in Genesis chapter 3. And he's spoken of by Jesus in the Gospels. John 17, Jesus says this. Nope, not 17. Someone screwed my notes up again. There it is. John 10. Jesus says the thief, this enemy, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he did in the garden, isn't it? He takes that which God has made, that which is good, place, purpose, partnership, And then he goes, but did God really say? I mean, come on. Can't you use it this way? He steals the very life God desires. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. How? Well, here, John 17. Jesus says, this is life. This is eternal life. Eternal here is not just about quantity. It's about quality. Jesus says, here's what true life is. That they know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That that word know is the same word referred to when we talk about a man knowing his wife. It is deep, deep. And it is intimate, and it is rich. God is saying, hey, place, purpose, partnership, they're important, but they find their ultimate fulfillment in me. Your place in this world? Well, it's not in this world. The Scripture says you are aliens and strangers. Your place is with me, Jesus says. And your purpose, I give you that. I'm the one who made you. And I'm the one who formed you as you are to accomplish what I have in mind. Let no one tell you you don't have purpose until that day the Lord calls you home. And then, even then, I think you get a new assignment. In partnership? Oh, thank goodness for one another. Thank goodness for marriage. Thank goodness for the church. Thank goodness for friendship. But none of those None of those are a substitute for the relationship with Jesus that we're called into, for He's the one who meets every need. This journey we'll share is a journey to know Him, to follow Him, to worship Him until the end. You know, we're given a picture in Genesis 2 to begin the story. We're given another picture at the very end. And they're pictures that mirror one another. I want to read it to you. I don't want you to open it up in the Scripture. Instead, I pre- prefer that you would close your eyes because I want you to paint this picture in your mind's eye. Remember some of what we learned about Eden, the rivers and the trees and the fruit and God and hear the fulfillment of of place and purpose and partnership in the image we're given at the end of the story. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this life that you have given us. We recognize the ways we have sought to define our lives contrary to the call that you placed on us. We recognize the importance of place and purpose and partnership and ask, Lord, that you would help us to lift those to their rightful place, not your place. May you, Jesus, be our ultimate. In you may we find life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week!